Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. And while you're here, go ahead and head over to our online platform, thelifeonline.cc, where you'll find content on all kinds of topics like forgiveness, healing, prophecy, faith, and so much more. So check it out at thelifeonline.cc and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody here today. Uh, we're so excited. Today's Invite Sunday where, you know, we, we know we have a bunch of new people who come to church all the time. And I want to encourage you, have some fun today. How many of you know church ought to be fun? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Uh, and so have some fun today. Get to know some new people today. Make some connections today. I'm a firm believer that every sheep, and that's what God calls us, sheep. There's a whole lesson there about why you're a sheep. <laughs> but every sheep needs two things. It needs a shepherd, which I pray you find that here at Word of Life. But it also needs a flock. Um, and that means like we need each other. And even during worship, I just had it so strong in my, my heart that, you know, uh, God is, is looking at those who have had their hearts broken maybe recently. And one of the things that God does is he puts the brokenhearted and he puts the lonely in families. And family is not just something that's, that's blood. The, Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Uh, and out of that, what that just simply means is that in our lives, we can actually have friends come alongside us as well that add the supply that maybe brothers, sisters, fathers, and mothers should have added but didn't add. And we need each other. We need uh, to be with each other. Uh, God has ordained healing to come through the laying on of hands, which means you have to get close enough to touch, vulnerable enough to touch, open enough to touch. And one of the things that traditionally happens in church is that we, we live with silos and we live with walls up where it's very uh, cordial and our Sunday best and Sunday greetings and all those types of things. But one of the things that can happen in the context of healthy church is that we find people that we can be open enough to show them our wounds, to show them our hurts, and to have faith that they will take us to Jesus. And out of that, um, we need a your faith. Your faith has made you whole. We need a strong your faith. But we also need a strong their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, their friend got healed. And out of that, I, I want you to, to, to work diligently to establish strong connections with people of the Spirit, people of the kingdom of God, and to go on a journey to find a close connection, not just with a shepherd or a church or a voice, which you will find here, hopefully, but also a flock that you can come in and, and really receive strength and ministry from the sheep who labor beside you. And I just feel so um, compelled to just say, be, when you find that, be courageous enough to be vulnerable with those people because God has ordained strength to come from hands. And it's a beautiful thing. I say this often. It's a beautiful thing because so much of our hurts in life come from the hands of other people. Sometimes it's, it's not just what they said or didn't say or abuse or things like that. It's just from their absence sometimes. 
Um, it was an absent father, an absent mother, just something, a supply. That's one of the things I've noticed. You know, when people leave the earth, it's not just the people who leave the earth, it's the supply. Um, Paul said uh, to a couple of people, your supply, our helper of my joy. And there's some people that, you know, when they're on the earth, they're just a supply of joy to us. That's what John Romick is to me. John is a supply of joy to me. He makes me laugh, which lets him get away with a lot. Uh, but he, he makes me laugh. Uh, and those types of things, he's a supply of joy. So if John was to exit my life, it wouldn't just be, you know, a person exiting my life. It would be a supply. Does that make sense? Uh, for some people, you get a supply of leadership, or you get a supply of godliness, or you get a supply of wisdom. For some people, it's just a supply of the Spirit. One of my spiritual mentors, um, I, I heard him say this um, years ago. He said, I have not operated in certain things uh, for, for you know the last, I forget how many years he said, but he said, I noticed it uh, when, and he named these individuals, went home to be with the Lord that there was a supply of prayer they were giving him. Uh, that when they left, those prayers left. And he was asking people to pick up that supply, to begin to, to come into his life and to yield the supply of the Spirit that way. Paul said, I know this will turn through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit. Prayer releases a supply of the Spirit. Um, and so out of that, we, we, we need each other. Um, God, even in making man, he's walking with Adam as an individual, and this is a beautiful thing. But even in that, it's the only thing he said that was not good, was man just walking with God. God said, this is not good. Everything else up to that point was good, 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 good. But he, he watches Adam alone, and he, he watches Adam be at this place where he's walking with God, but he has no flock, and he said, this is not good. And so he ordained a supply. Um, that supply, he said, I'll make a help. That This is not the message, by the way. Um, that supply, he said, would be a help uh, to you. Um, that word help means easer in the Old Testament. It's used 23 times. It's the only time it's ever linked to a person. Um, there are six times, I think it is, it's linked to military aid or assistance, like power coming from military. You're in a war. You're in a war. And an easer comes alongside of you that says, you will not fight this battle alone. You will not walk through this alone. You have an ally. You have an easer. Here we are to help you in a time of war. The other times, it's always used for God, and it's God's divine assistance in times that are problematic. God's divine assistance in times that are problematic. God's divine assistance in times that are problematic. And God, in looking at man, says, you need an easer, because you will face times of war, and in times of war, you need power. Uh, and there will be times where you need divine assistance, and that divine assistance will not just be found in my presence. Oftentimes, my presence will be revealed through the presence of people I have assigned to you. And the devil will do anything he can, literally anything he can, to make us be at a place where we're not vulnerable enough to tap into that supply. We don't ask for prayer when it's prayer that releases the, the supply of the Spirit. We don't ask for wisdom 
In fact, the older that I, I get, I'll be 40 in August. August 13th is my birthday. It's a Sunday. I will preach that Sunday, and my, your gift to me will be coming to church and bringing someone with you uh, and watching them get born again. Uh, but, but out of that, um, the older I get, the more I see, I wish I would have been open with my issues and invited an easer, invited help. What do you see? What do you know? Here's what I'm facing. What would you do? Um, inviting spirit-led, spirit-directed help um, and to, to live more vulnerable and to live more transparent. And, and I just sense, like for, for, for many, honestly, um, that so many of you, I, just by the Spirit this morning, just, just need that divine assistance. You need easer. You need help that God put on the earth for you. And it's not by accident that you know who you know. And it's not by accident that you're surrounded with who you're surrounded by. It's not by accident like that, that God has strategically linked people up in your life um, and that type of thing. And, and so oftentimes, we don't get the full supply of those people because we're not open enough to receive that supply. And a lot of that has to do with what I am uh, actually scheduled to preach on and what, what's actually in my notes, uh, which is open enough to understand the power of grace and to be open enough to understand that I don't have to hide, that in Christ there is no hiding, uh, that in Christ there is light and there is no shadow. And I, I'm not afraid to come out of the shadow and to actually show the people of God and God exactly what I'm dealing with and exactly what I'm facing and exactly where I'm at, knowing that there is divine military grade A support coming from our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for easer, for divine help. And Father, I just thank you that you have ordained strength in all of our lives to come from certain individuals who are in our lives, that we are the body of Christ, members in particular, and that each member is assigned to that body with specific uh, purpose. And, and designed with a specific plan that the, the finger is closer to the hand and the toe is closer to the foot for a reason. And while the body is fitly joined together, we thank you, Lord, that there are people in the body that we're directly connected to, to be a supply. And so, Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus that you give us the courage by the Spirit to be open with the supplies that you've ordained to us. But that you would also give us the courage, Father, to be the supply you've ordained us to be. Supplies of the Spirit, supplies of joy, supplies of love, supplies of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit shows us who we need to be a supply to, who we need to be a friend to, who we need to be an easer to. And, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that all of us would be vulnerable enough and open enough to show and to, to, to be open to that strength, to have a strong their faith in our lives. 
And we thank you, Father, that you are binding up the wounds of the brokenhearted, that there is no one in this room any longer that the enemy has to have in a vulnerable, brokenhearted position place. Father, we thank you. You bring life to those hearts, quickening to those hearts, a binding up of those hearts, the beginning of a new season, the beginning of a new day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That the past can be seen, but it doesn't have to be hurt. That the past can be faced, but it doesn't have to be embraced. Father, we thank you by your Spirit and by your grace. You enable us to walk freer than we've ever been. Freer than in quite some time. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I tell you what, we could go home now. <laughs> Said it would have been good to be here. Amen. If you're comfortable with it, let's just lift our hands to the Lord and just give Him thanks. We love you, Lord Jesus. I love you, Lord Jesus. You're forever wonderful forever honorable amen i've had two words stirring on my heart for quite some time that if you go back and you'll listen to our good friday message that's on our podcast easter and then the next two messages um i, I think it'll establish certain truths in your heart um, if something speaks to you, go back and listen to it again. Uh, one message done is better than a thousand listened to. So when something speaks to you, keep going back to it um, until with repetition it's established in your heart. Um, and I, I sense like what God is trying to establish in us is this... Um, Knowledge that it's okay to be vulnerable and open because of grace. Grace that comes from the Lord Jesus and grace that comes through the people of Jesus. Christians, Christ followers. And grace is a word that I think we're all familiar with. Um, we use it a lot. Uh, banks give us grace periods. Uh, politicians, uh, movie stars, even pastors sometimes, uh, which is so sad. Uh, can we, we say things like they fell from grace? Um, maybe over a meal you'll say, let's say grace. I don't even know what that means necessarily. Uh, you know, I guess it means prayer. I want to Google like where did say grace and that be like what you would do, for, like came from or that terminology. Um, but we use the term grace all the time. We even name people grace. But I wonder um, this, have you been changed by grace? Has grace changed you? And when I was writing this message, like it was so interesting for me because I have been changed by grace. And so when I'm going over these truths, I realize how strongly these truths are ingrained in my soul. But like what the, I, I believe the Spirit was trying to show me is this is not the case for everyone. And so I just kind of want to walk through grace and righteousness, two words that I want to kind of build through today, and then I want to talk about why it's important in all of our lives, especially those of us who are familiar with it. 
What is grace? Grace, my favorite definition for it is this. It's God's unmerited goodness. It's God being good to you without you doing anything to deserve it. Um, It is just a free gift given from the Father God. Grace is God's unmerited goodness. It's just God being good to you. And somebody says, well, I don't deserve it. That's where grace starts. Uh, Grace can't start until you don't deserve it. Um, If someone is gracious to you, you can't be gracious to somebody until they've done something not to deserve your assistance. And so from God's grace, it is God being good to you without you doing anything to merit it, anything to earn it, or anything to deserve it. In fact, it's God being so good to you that you can't unearn it, that you can't undeserve it. It is God being good to you for no other reason than he has set his love upon you. Now, there are verses that we need to be grounded in for this truth. Let's go over to Ephesians, and we'll look at this one. Ephesians chapter 2, really the whole chapter, genuinely, whole chapter of Ephesians 2 would be worthy of us to to look at. But for the sake of time, let's look at verses 8 through 9. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace, there's that key word, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one could boast. Now, what does that mean? By grace, I have been saved through faith. Not that I could merit it, because if you could merit it, then you could boast. And you hear me say this a lot, religion will make you proud of yourself. Um, it's, oh, I feel very, I feel so much better about myself. Why? I tithed. I feel so much better about myself. Why? I forgave. Religion will make you proud of you. Christianity in its truest form will make you proud of Jesus. Um, of his, it's not by works. If it was by works, then we could boast. In essence, we become the hero of the story. What grace is, is Jesus is constantly the hero of our story. I don't deserve it, but Jesus made me worthy anyway. I should have fallen, but Jesus picked me up anyway. I should have been cast away, but Jesus brought me back anyway. I went astray, but Jesus came and found me and led me back. Jesus constantly being the hero of the story. That is grace. And when you receive grace, it is me realizing how important Jesus is to my story. That nothing I do is worthy of boasting of. It is by grace that I am who I am, as Paul said. The reason why I am who I am is Jesus has been wonderful in my life. Jesus has been wonderful in my story. That is the heart of grace. All the praise goes to him. None of the boasting can come to me. Ephesians chapter 2 builds this out. Let's go over to Romans chapter 5, and we'll see this again. Romans 5 And verse number 17, we're in Acts, Um, I'm in Acts, going over to Romans. Uh, So if you hit Acts, you've gone too far, hit the Gospels, you've gone too far. Uh, But uh, Romans chapter 5, verse number 17, it talks about Adam, and it, it gives a relationship between Adam and Jesus. Now let's get grounded in these truths. For if by the transgression of one, this is talking about Adam and Eve, death reigned 
through the one, meaning because of what Adam and Eve did, now all of us are born into sin, so sin and death were reigning through the disobedience of one. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray because of Adam. That sin nature was imparted to us. And you see that even in little children. Like, it's like, how could you sin? They're so cute. And it's like, mine! And like all of these types of, of things, because we were all born into sin. Through one man's disobedience, sin reigned, death reigned in the earth. Watch this next phrase, though. Much more. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, I'm going to talk about this next week, have you been emboldened by grace? And the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, which is Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that next week. So then as through one transgression, talking about Adam's sin, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, talking about Jesus, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. That's talking about Jesus. For the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, so what this is talking about, we see because of Jesus, two things came into our life. Grace, God's unmerited goodness. I don't deserve it, but because of Jesus, God is good to me. I didn't earn salvation. I couldn't earn salvation. I couldn't earn the blessing of God. It is a free gift because Jesus paid for it. God is good to me because of my faith in Jesus. When he sees me, he sees me in Christ. Which brings me to the next word, righteousness. This is another word, as Christians, we need to be well-versed in. Grace is God's unmerited favor, God's unmerited goodness. Righteousness means the ability to stand before God. And, and if you can stand before God, this means you can also stand before us, okay? So uh, before God, and I'll say others. The ability to stand before God and others without any sense of guilt or shame. That no matter who you are today or what you have done, you can stand before me, you can stand before God, you can stand before us without any sense of shame and guilt because of what Jesus has done. And so much of the church is so moved from the gospel the good news, which is grace and righteousness, that we hide still from God and each other. A sin is when we miss the mark. Um, that's literally what it means. Sin is an archery term. You have the bullseye. You didn't hit the bullseye. You missed the mark. Sin. That's actually where the word sin comes from. And how many of you know we miss the mark a lot? 
right? Uh, and some of us, we like still, and it's so funny to me, even as Christians, like we, we still have like really big sin and then small itty bitty sin, and it's like we make this bigger than this. But how many of you know, in all things, we miss the mark often? And, and by the grace of God, hopefully less and less as we mature, but I don't know about you, I still wrestle sometimes with things like the pride of life. Every time I go into Orange Theory, which, you know, it's free advertisement, I don't get paid to mention them. I'm just using this as an example. I don't get free membership, although I am open to it, if you are listening. Uh, But out of this, like, there are certain people I always try to beat, and I know it's sin. It's the pride of life. It's not like me wanting to be my best self. It's like, oh, you can go up a mile? I can go up a mile per hour, too. In fact, I'll go up 1.1 and beat you, sir. Uh, You know, those kinds of things. So, like, I'm naturally competitive, and the pride of life. I find still sometimes, even when I'm not trying, coming up in my soul. Um, judgment. How many of you know sin of the heart? Uh, looking at somebody and being like, Psh, they shouldn't wear that. Psh, they shouldn't say that. Uh, so these are like sins of the heart. As Christians, oftentimes we look at sins of the flesh, of, you know, you know, especially in things in relationships or things like that. It's like, I can't believe they would do blank. And God is like, well, let's talk about your heart. Um, and begin to search. So I don't want to take time to build this out because we're all mindful of it. Like we know we miss it. Even the best of us miss it, which makes us something um, that God does not want us to be, and that is sin conscious. We're, we're aware of our sin, and we walk with a sin consciousness And it affects us. And somebody says, well, how does it affect us? Look at the prodigal son. This is Jesus looking at humanity. When the prodigal is aware of his sin and how bad it is, where does he go back to in his mind? I'll go back to the father's house, but in the father's house, what will happen? I'll be blessed according to what? God's goodness or my works? My works. I'll come in and I'll work for everything that you give me. And like, this is Jesus preaching the gospel narrative. And he's like, I know, like, people, when they miss it, become sin conscious. And when they become sin conscious, here's what they do. Number one, they want to hide from each other. Number two, they want to hide from God. And number three, they want to pay consequences or avoid them, but they're still mindful of the consequences. So when I sin, what happens in my life? I want to hide from you. I don't want you to see my sin. I don't want you to know about it. I don't want you to talk about it. I don't want you to see it. I don't want my wife to see it. I don't want my husband to see it. I don't want my father to see it. I don't want my church to see it. I don't want the pastor to see it. I don't want people to see my sin. So just like Adam, when he sinned, what did he do? He's like, let me cover it up as fast as humanly possible. I don't want anyone to see me. So I'll hide. But not only do we hide from each other, it's like, how are great? It's like, actually, I'm really struggling. Uh, And I don't know what to do because I just ruined the world through eating of this tree. Like, no, 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 I'm good, I promise. Well, why are you you hiding? It's like, ah. So we have these things in our lives where we hide from each other, but we also hide from God because we're afraid that we miss the mark so badly and he knows all things. So it's just easier to be a little bit distant from him. And then we also begin to manufacture consequences. Um, The Old Testament was, let me take a lamb and and offer it. And somebody says, well, that's just not fair. Like the lamb dies. It wasn't just the lamb dying. Uh, If you had a lamb and you offered it as a sacrifice, it immediately becomes something that costs you something. 
um, that, and, and you would have to pay that consequence. And so we're trained that way, that when I sin, let me not let you see it, let me not make God see it, and let me just pay for it. And so I will, you know, fast, or I will pray, or I will make church a priority now, or like any of these types of things that we begin to pay. Uh, This is sin consciousness. Um, David um, was a man that loved the Lord, but he also was a man who sinned. He had sin that like got way out of hand, namely adultery and then killing the husband of the woman he slept with. That's problems. Uh, And out of that, in Psalms 51, he wrote this, and I thought this is great. They can put it up on the screen because this kind of shows this. Be gracious. He wrote this, Psalms 51, verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. Watch this. And my sin is ever before me. Has that been you uh, before where what you did is ever before you? And so now I come back to a place where I'm going to earn my way back to being a good man, earn my way back to being a good woman, earn my way back to right standing with you. And not only do we do that, oftentimes even we as Christians want people to do that. You will earn your way back to right standing with me. And until you earn your way back, we will not have right standing, we'll not be okay with each other. Um, because we're not rooted in grace. Can I ask you a question? Has grace, so- has grace softened you? Has grace changed you? Has grace softened you? And this was the way of the world. It's just what it is. Sin, okay, I'm not going to let anybody know about it. I'm going to hide it as, as much as possible because if, I, if it gets out there, I will not be in right standing with anyone. I could lose my job. I could lose my marriage. I could lose my family. I could lose my career. So hide, 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 hide. Hide sin at all costs. And then it's like from God, it's like, ah! And I definitely don't want to like come in church and like let it be open. And I definitely don't want to like you know come to this place of this and so increase um, with intimacy with the Lord. Uh, it's just something like I'll get to that after I've paid for what I've done, and then we have some type of consequence of here's what I'll do. Um, I will will punish myself. Or I'll, I'll be thinking of if this gets out, what will it cost me? I want to avoid consequence because sin consciousness makes you hide and makes you either pay consequences or try to be so mindful to avoid consequences at all cost. This is sin consciousness. And what's amazing is when Jesus comes on the earth, he flips the model on its head. Um, and John, when he's seeing John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, watch what he says about him in John chapter 1, I believe it's verse 28. They can put it on the screens. 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him, and John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the mistakes, the misses. You didn't hit the mark of the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the whole world. And we see a a, a Jesus who begins to instill grace uh, and righteousness, right standing with God, and flip the Old Testament and the law on its head, not because he didn't respect the law, but because he was fulfilling it. 
And you'll see him do things uh, like um, uh, heal the leper. Uh, do you remember the, the leper? It's like, for under the law, the unclean, if it touches the clean, will make the clean unclean. And so it's like, whatever you do, and leprosy is a type and shadow of sin, whatever you do, don't get around them. Because the unclean will make dirty the clean. And so out of this, separate them, and whatever you do, don't touch them, because the unclean will make the clean clean. And Jesus came up and touched the leper. Because under grace, the clean will make the unclean clean. Under the law, the unclean will make the clean unclean. Under grace, the clean will make the unclean clean. If you feel unclean, it's not staying away from Jesus. It's actually running to Jesus. Because in grace, the clean will make the unclean clean. I don't need to stay away from the people of God. I need to open up to the people of God. I don't need to stay away from the church. I need to go to the church. I don't need to stay away from Jesus. I need to bring Jesus into my life. The, the clean will make the unclean clean. All throughout the, the New Testament, you see examples like this. Uh, Jesus' first miracle was what? Yes, turning the water into wine. Moses' first miracle in the Old Testament was what? Water into blood. But the law brings judgment. You don't want to do what God wants you to do? Uh, immediately comes death and water being turned into blood. Uh, Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine, was an act of graciousness that took away the shame of the groom. It was the groom's responsibility to make sure you don't run out of wine. And if you do, you got problems, sir. And you should feel really bad because you didn't plan really well. His first miracle was taking away the shame of the bridegroom. The shame of the, the groom. Out of this, you see this example all the time. Jesus is coming up with Peter, James, and John, and he's transfigured on the mount, and they're seeing Jesus for who he is, and it's an amazing moment. And in this moment, you have Moses and Elijah appear. And, and all of a sudden, you see Peter speak up, and he's always speaking up. It's like, Peter, man, slow to speak, slow to speak, slow to speak, slow to act, quick to listen. But, but out of this, he speaks up, and he's like, let us build three altars, one to Jesus, one to Moses, and one to Elijah, basically taking the law, Moses, the prophets, Elijah, and Jesus' grace and placing them on the same level. And what did God say in that? This is my beloved son, talking about Jesus, hear ye him. That Jesus is with the law and the prophets because he is fulfilling the law of the prophets, but now everything we read in the law and the prophets must be taken from what we hear from Jesus because Jesus came to take away the sin of the whole world. As one man's disobedience gave us all a sin conscious, now because of one man's obedience, we can stand before each other, God, man, anyone, without any sense of guilt or shame because when the father sees us he sees us in Jesus and my favorite example of this is the woman caught in adultery let's go over and look at it you know the story John chapter 8 we'll close with this John chapter 8 I say that but I have eight minutes I think I can go further John chapter 8 
and verse number two. Okay, before we read this, let's just have some fun. We have time. Um, in all seriousness, imagine right now, literally right now, that your worst sin was just made public. To me, to your wife, to your husband, to your friend, to everyone in this church. That the, the one thing you would want to hide, the one thing you would want to cover, was just made public to your employer, to your friends, to everyone. How would you feel? How would we feel? How would this church respond? Their worst mistake was just made public. How would you respond? How you respond to someone's sin, I want to say says more about you than it does about them, but I wouldn't say that would be accurate. But I'll say that just for the sake of context. How you respond to someone else's sin says more about you than it does about them. Um, because while you may see the sin of the flesh, it will reveal to you the sin of your heart. Pride. Judgment. Unforgiveness. And sins of the heart, in that context, are more dangerous than sins of the flesh because the sin of the flesh you can see, and if you can see it, it can be changed. If you can't see it, it grows which is why sin never worked and sin consciousness never worked. It made people sick. It didn't make them better. Um, and so out of this, we have a moment in Scripture that shows someone's, if it wasn't their worst sin, it had to have been their worst moment, um, is made public. And the law, you're going to see, the Old Testament, because it's the Pharisees and the doctors of the law who are doing this. The law says, because of this, it's not hidden from God anymore. It's not hidden from man anymore. And so here are consequences that must be served. And I want you in this to see Jesus. And when you see Jesus, I want you to see him with people in your life who may be missing the mark. And I want you to see him with you when you're missing the mark. John, John chapter 8 and verse number 1. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came into the temple. And all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Almost every theologian says in this moment, because of the wording here, she probably was unclothed. Um, drugged to this moment, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds to accuse him because he's going to break the law here is what they're thinking. Jesus is constantly saying, you, you remember the hallmark of Jesus' teaching, you have heard, but now I say unto you. 
I know you've heard it this way, but now I say it to you this way. It's not because he's changing the law. It's because he's fulfilling it. And out of this, they're testing him according to the law because they know he's preached like this. And so if, they don't, if he doesn't follow the law here, they have grounds to accuse him. And so he's going to have to stone him. And in their mind, it's a win-win because if he stones this lady, the crowd's going to turn against him. Because what he's done up to this point is be gracious to people, and people like grace. Did you know people like grace? People like it when you're gracious to them. They like a gracious Jesus because it is the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. Grounds to accuse him, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they were persisting in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, and we don't know exactly what he wrote. Um, You know, I always joke, it just said, takes one to know one. Uh, But (laughs) something that he wrote convicted him of like, wait a minute. If we're going to make public her sin before people and God and expect consequences? What if my sin was made open before people and God? What consequences would that invite? And so they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court straightened up. I like that. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, Where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. What's he doing there? He's showing her, you're not as bad as you think you are. Because if they were going to stone you, they'd have to stone themselves too. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and sin no more. When you sin, what do you feel? For most of us, I believe what we would say is bad. I feel, now think about that. What do you feel when you sin? I feel bad. Like, I am bad. When we sin... Our sin in and of itself is bad because sin invites consequence. Even under grace, sin invites consequence. But when I allow the enemy to make sin make me feel bad, I go right back under the law where I try to hide it from you, I try to hide it from others, and I begin to like, I'll pay this consequence so maybe I don't have to pay that one. And what Jesus has done, and he's flipped the narrative on its head, and he said, I have paid for your sin. That the iniquity of you all was laid on Jesus. This is what we taught on Good Friday, is that our forgiveness was not free. It's not like going to a restaurant and getting a free meal. It's going to a restaurant and having someone pay for it. The debt was paid. And somebody says, well, God is holy. Yes, and he's holy enough not to punish the same sin twice. 
your sin was punished. It was punished on Jesus. Have you ever looked at the passion of the Christ and seen how rough that was for him? Did you know there's a reason why he said if there be any other way? Why? Because he was paying the price for your sin. We should have been beaten. We should have been on the cross. We should have had all of these things happen to us. But Jesus took our place. We should have gone to hell. Jesus took our place. And grace is this free gift that God invites each and every one of us into. That we can come to a place where we begin to receive grace. And by that grace, we begin to see God's unmerited goodness healing us. And we can have righteousness where I can come to God boldly and ask for whatever I need in a time of need, and by his mercy, have it come. We have this term being thrown out by many, and I do understand that cheap grace. Of Paul even wrestled against this when he taught on grace in the book of Romans. He said, is grace now this license to sin, that since I can get away with everything because Jesus had paid the price, I can get forgiveness for everything, is grace a license to sin and he said heavens no like God forbid because grace when I am aware of it makes me incredibly thankful and I think for most people they have lost their fascination with grace and the more religious we get the more we forget how gracious God has been to us I wanted to close with this with Judas of a man who saw so many miracles but somewhere along the way lost his awe of Jesus. Versus people who were so mindful of Jesus' mercy that they're pouring out their alabaster boxes upon his feet. And I'll ask you, are you mindful of the grace of God in your life? So mindful that it softened you to others. Are you mindful of his washing and his mercy in your life? So mindful that you stop judging others. Mindful of God's grace in your life so strongly that it makes you merciful unto others. And are you so mindful of God's mercy that it makes you merciful towards yourself? That your sin was judged in Jesus. And so while I go and sin no more, I don't go feeling bad. I go feeling grateful because the blood of Jesus has washed me, cleansed me, and made me whole. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's invite his grace into our lives. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person here. I thank you, Father, for your amazing grace. Father, I thank you. By your grace, we can stand with no shame or guilt. Father, we receive Jesus. We receive his mercy. We receive his grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If this podcast has helped you spiritually, we're asking if you can help us naturally by sending in a gift or becoming a monthly partner as we aim to help more ministries and release more content. You can give online today at thelife.cc.